Hello and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies with your speaker, Chris McCann. If you'd like more information or to hear more studies, visit our website at www.ebiblefellowship.com. And now, with your evening Bible study, here's Chris McCann. Good evening and welcome to eBible Fellowship's Bible Study in the Book of Genesis. Tonight is study number three of Genesis chapter 10. We're going to begin reading in verse 8. And Cush begat Nimrod. He began to be a mighty one in the earth. He was a mighty hunter before Jehovah. Wherefore, it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before Jehovah. And the beginning of his kingdom was Babel and Erech and Akkad and Kalna in the land of Shinar. In our last study, we saw that Nimrod was said to be a mighty one or a mighty man in the earth in verse 8. And we saw how that uh, fit together with the statement in Genesis 6, verse 4, regarding the mighty men of renown that identified with the people of God or the sons of God who were of that line intermarrying with the daughters of men and and God's wrath falling upon the world as a result. And so Nimrod, since we're told he's a mighty man in the earth, and he comes from the line of Noah, Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and, and a man of God, a, a faithful man, a true man, and Noah's son, Ham, um, is the one who begat Cush, and Cush begat Nimrod. And we mentioned last time that Cush is another name for Ethiopia. The Hebrew word for Cush is the same Hebrew word that's translated as Ethiopia. And, and, and so, uh, this line that should be faithful, uh, there's never really any excuse. There, there's never any justification for going away from God. Ham had no excuse, certainly. His father was a preacher of righteousness. A very, very faithful man. You can't find a more faithful man in the Bible than Noah. And yet, he did go astray because man's heart is desperately wicked. And unless God acts to change that heart, then um, it, it's good to have faithful, believing parents and and to be raised in the admonition uh, of the Lord. But ultimately, man follows his heart. And, and if his heart is a heart of stone, desperately wicked, deceitful above all things, it will eventually show. And we saw in Genesis chapter 9, there was a indication that Ham was not right with God when he did not cover his father's nakedness. So it's not surprising to find that he has a son Cush and and also Mizraim, who was Egypt, and Cush, Ethiopia. And the sons of Ham 
are sons that identify with later nations that are all contrary to the kingdom of God. They're, they're all set in opposition to the kingdom of God. And, and, and so uh, now uh, we're a couple of generations removed from Noah and it, it's just going to get worse. Cush begets Nimrod and he's a mighty man. He, uh, he has that descent of the sons of God, but it's now perverted. It's turned from grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord and it's going a completely different path away from God. And in verse nine, it says he was a mighty hunter before Jehovah. Wherefore it is said, even as Nimrod, the mighty hunter before Jehovah. And we began to look at the, the word hunter and, and some of its variations, the, the uh, Hebrew words. We were looking at three different Hebrew words, but they're all spiritually pointing to the same truth. For instance, we saw in Proverbs that the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. And that principle is seen in many places in the Bible. The enemies of God hunt for the elect, the precious life. They they um, hunt uh, God's people as though they were prey. It's why we read the language that we do in Ezekiel chapter 34. In Ezekiel 34, God is condemning the shepherds of Israel or pastors in the churches. And he says in verse 2, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah unto the shepherds, Woe! Be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Ye eat the fat, and ye clothe you with the wool. Ye kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. And and it, it goes on where God is condemning them for failing to protect and to feed the flock of God, which would be God's true believers, his elect. And in verse 7, Therefore, ye shepherds, hear the word of Jehovah. As I live, saith the Lord Jehovah, surely, because my flock became a prey. What's a prey? This is P-R-E-Y. It is that which is hunted. My flock became a prey, and my flock became meat to every beast of the field, because there was no shepherd, neither did my shepherd search for my flock. But the shepherds fed themselves and fed not my flock. And then God uh, causes them to cease from feeding the flock. It's the end of the church age. And that's also the picture in Ezekiel chapter 13, where... Those that develop false gospels, they, they develop, um, uh, false doctrines, 
and do harm to the children of God. It says in Ezekiel 13, beginning in verse 17, I'm going to read a few verses in, in this passage. Likewise, thou son of man, set thy face against the daughters of thy people, which prophesy out of their own heart, and prophesy thou against them, and say, Thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Woe to the women that sow pillows to all armholes. Now, let me just stop for a minute um, and and say that we're not going to try and explain uh, all of this language, uh, sowing pillows to armholes. It's very difficult language. But keep in mind, verse 17 establishes the context or what's being addressed is those that prophesy out of their own heart and they are being prophesied against. And to prophesy out of your own heart means you're a false prophet. You're not prophesying the truth. Okay, so pillows all armholes and make kerchiefs upon the head of every stature to hunt souls. Will ye hunt the souls of my people? And will ye save the souls alive that come unto you? And will ye pollute me among my people for handfuls of barley and for pieces of bread? To slay the souls that should not die and to save the souls alive that should not live by your lying to my people that hear your lies. And again, here we're, we're reading of this word hunting. The, the hunter, Nimrod, a mighty hunter before Jehovah. Esau was a hunter. He, he went and hunted venison to give to his father. There, um, in, in Proverbs, deliver thyself from the hand of the hunter and, and avoid the snare of the fowler. The ones hunting souls. They're hunting the souls of God's elect. And notice it said there in, um, in, uh, verse 19, in the middle of the verse, to slay the souls that should not die. Who should not die? God's elect, those chosen from the foundation of the world and predestinated unto salvation. They are not to die. But these false gospels, these gospels that lie to God's people, that that's what he said at the end of verse 19, by your lying to my people that hear your lies, it, it is as though they're killing God's elect and they're sparing, they're saving the lives of the wicked who should not have their lives spared. And, and we can see hunting souls to slay. That's what the enemies of the true gospel, the true word of God do when they teach contrary to the Bible. And, and let's go on in verse 20. Wherefore, thus saith the Lord Jehovah, Behold, I am against your pillows, wherewith ye there hunt the souls, to make them fly. 
and I will tear them from your arms, and will let the souls go, even the souls that ye hunt to make them fly. Your kerchiefs also will I tear and deliver my people out of your hand, and they shall be no more in your hand to be hunted. And you shall know that I am Jehovah. And this goes along with Ezekiel 34, where God's flock became a prey. God delivers them from these useless uh, shepherds well they're they're worse than useless they do damage and and harm to the ones they should be protecting having oversight over and and so god caused them to cease from feeding the flock and here too he will deliver his people out of the hand of those prophesying lies who are hunting the souls of the children of god They are targeting, they're going after God's elect. And of course, Satan would be uh, involved with that. He would be stirring them up. Satan uh, always wants to seek after, to destroy. What does the New Testament tell us? I think it's in 1 Peter 5. In 1 Peter 5. And verse 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, what does a lion do in the jungle when a lion is walking about? Well, lions get very hungry. They're very large animals and they see the prey they they see the giraffe or they they see um the zebra or whatever kind of animal it is and they very carefully walk about and and sneak up on it because they're seeking to devour it and that's the picture of satan Satan, by that description in 1 Peter 5, is a hunter. He is going about looking to devour the prey. And, and so Nimrod, Nimrod, we'll see shortly, he, he's the founder of Babel, which is the same as Babylon, the kingdom of Satan. He, is a picture of those bringing false gospels that destroy. He's a picture of an apostate church that has left the right path. They've um, transgressed the ancient boundary. They've gone over the limits of the word of God, the Bible. They've added to it. They've subtracted from it. They um, allow for tongues and dreams and visions and, and have become completely another gospel that does harm. It destroys the elect in the sense that it is as though they're being killed because God's people are driven out by those kinds of gospels. And in John 16, the Lord uh, uh, draws uh, an equivalency between 
being driven out of the synagogue and being killed. And so these pastors, these elders and deacons, under the power of Satan, especially during the 23-year Great Tribulation period, they are hunting the souls of God's elect that God has determined should not die. It, it reminds us of Balak, the king of Moab, who saw the multitude of Israel after they had come out of Egypt, and he was afraid, so he hired Balaam to curse Israel, to destroy them. And when he tried to destroy them, or when he tried to curse Israel, God turned it to a blessing. And and that's uh, a good picture of what has happened all throughout history. Satan keeps trying. He keeps um, raising up his emissaries as ministers of righteousness, but they're actually emissaries of Satan. And they do their best to cause spiritual harm and to destroy the people of God, but they always fail. God always turns it for a blessing. And and so Satan is the ultimate hunter who is seeking to devour God's elect. He he wants to destroy them. If only he could. If only he could destroy one individual that God had paid for their sins from the, the point of the world's foundation. And as Christ died as the lamb for them at that point. And yet there had to be an application of the blood of Christ through the hearing of the word of God at, at some point in time, in their lifetime. And if Satan could destroy them before they heard, then it would be as though he won. Because God, the Lord's salvation program would have failed. It would have been a terrible injustice for a man or a woman who had all their sins paid for at the foundation of the world, yet never applied to them, and therefore they died in their sin. They died as a child of wrath, even as others. And and, and so then uh, God would be at fault. It, it would have been... Uh, a terrible act of injustice. And, and so Satan pursued that line. He wanted to destroy just, just one anywhere. And so he attacked on a thousand different fronts. And, and it was always for the goal, uh, for the purpose of destruction, to devour, to destroy one of God's elect. And, and so he filled the churches with his emissaries. And in congregation after congregation, they taught these lies and, and half-truths and, and, and distortions and uh, perverted the gospel of grace into work and so forth. And you would think that uh, more than a thousand fronts, it was, it was perhaps millions of fronts in, in all the world's congregations and with all the people going in there, certainly during the church age and during the even um, uh, large portions of the Great Tribulation before 
They finally received the command to come out of the church. God's elect were present and their souls were being slain. They, they were suffering and, and grievously afflicted. They were being hunted. Um, and, and so they, they were the object or target uh, for all of these hunters. And yet God delivered everyone. He protected everyone. And finally, for the good of all of his people, he called them out of the church and made sure by uh, drawing them out, if necessary, that every one of those elect did come out so they can hear and become saved before the day of salvation concluded and the door shut on May 21, 2011. Well, Back here in Ezekiel 13, it says in verse 22, Because with lies ye have made the heart of the righteous sad, whom I have not made sad, and strengthened the hands of the wicked, that he should not return from his wicked way by promising him life. And, and there uh, you can just see practically every church gospel that's out there. The, the works gospels that church after church after church has adopted, um, here they'll tell you how to get saved. And yes, there's a tiny remnant of uh, so-called reformed churches that uh, claim to have the truth and they'll tell those that enter into their congregation about election. But at some point, either in the pastor's sermon or in their literature, or in their reference to one of the the great theologians of the past, of the Reformation, they will um, just very quietly and in a slippery manner, they will insert some work the individual has to do. Yes, God saves through election, predestination, but of course, we have to believe. Uh, we have to uh, exercise belief. And once we've exercised belief, then we can know it's because God predestinated us. And and they confuse things. They confound the congregation. So the congregation thinks they're very faithful, thinks they're getting the truth, the biblical teaching of election, and yet they're not. It's truth mixed with error. And there, there's just that one little percentage of work. And as we know, the Bible warns, as it likens salvation to resting in Christ, and the Sabbath day was a vivid illustration week after week, the Old Testament Seventh-day Sabbath. You cannot do any work whatsoever no work at all. If you go 99% of the day without working, yet you work one minute, you're guilty. If you do not work in your field, if if you do not work uh, um, with your animals, or if you do not work in, in whatever it is, and yet you go out and you pick up a few sticks on the Sabbath, what did God say? When Moses asked him, what shall we do with this man? 
We found him on the Sabbath picking up a few sticks. And the answer from God was, Stone him to death. He was to die. As a historical reminder, and that was a true historical occurrence, that man literally died in in the wilderness because he picked up a few sticks. Well, actually, he died because he was a sinner. And as the wages of sin is death, and God commands, this is my Sabbath, and and you are to have perfect rest, and you're to do no work. He did some work, and therefore he died for that sin and many others. But God used his sin, his transgression, in a seemingly minor area of picking up a few sticks, to teach everyone who would read the Bible how serious he is regarding his salvation program. God gets all the glory. Christ does all the work. We're saved by the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ and not by our faith. Because our faith would be a work. And and there too, if... Uh, the churches uh, somehow and, and um, hold to the biblical teaching on um, election and predestination. Well, what about uh, whose faith saves us? And you won't find a church out there that would say it's the faith of Christ. And you won't find a church in the world that would think that our faith, man's faith, is actually a work of the law, as the Bible says it is. And see, because of their lack of understanding, um, and they have a lack of understanding because they've rejected the end time opening up of the scriptures that, that the Lord uh, accomplished in the time of the Great Tribulation. They reject truth after truth after truth. And, and, and so, of course, they also reject that, um, that faith is a work, is that finally came to light after uh, the the whole uh, history of the world. It's never been known like it's known today that if you exercise belief, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved, okay, I will believe. And then, no, you don't become saved, but you've just placed yourself under the law because the command, and a command is a law. The command is believe. When you try to believe, then you're trying to get right with God through the keeping of the law in one point. But it, no, if you begin to come under the law, you, you you then are obligated to keep the whole law. And then, yeah, if you can keep the whole law of God, the whole Bible, you would, you would be saved or you would be righteous and go to heaven. But... None are righteous because none can keep the whole law. And if we offend in one point, we're guilty of all. And and, and so the churches bring the congregations under the penalty of the law. They have taught all of their members sitting in the pews, all of the congregation, the men, women, and children, the old and young. They have taught them that they must perform a work. 
a work, a small little work that, that this the Reformed Church is teaching them, but a work nonetheless, and that has brought condemnation and the wrath of God down upon their head, and they have hunted the souls of God's people, but God has delivered his people out of their hands, out of the hands of the hunter, out of the hands of the fowler. Thanks for joining us for eBible Fellowship's Evening Bible Studies. You can hear these studies Monday through Friday over PalTalk, Skype, eBible Fellowship's webcast audio, or over your phone. For more information or to hear other studies, visit www.ebiblefellowship.com. Until our next study, may the Lord's perfect will be done.